0: Hello and welcome to Business Line Podcast. I am your host, Akshay Chandra Today is a special episode. It is the 100th death anniversary of Mahakavi Bharati and I am going to be speaking with Meera T. Rajan, Bharati's great-granddaughter who is joining us in a virtual interview. Bharati's innovative contributions to Tamil poetry and prose are considered to have sparked a renaissance in 20th century Tamil literature. But what's practically unknown is that he wrote extensively in English as well. Meera is presenting his collected English writings in the book The Coming Age to commemorate his death centenary this year. She's also launching a podcast, Bharati 100, to go with the book. Meera Sundarajan is a writer, a classical pianist, and a scholar and professor who holds a doctorate in law from Oxford University. She's the daughter of Bharati scholar S. Vijaya Bharati and a great granddaughter of Mahakavi Bharati. Welcome, Meera, to Business Line podcast. So I personally think Bharati is still fully alive in public imagination even today. Children still dress up as Bharti to fancy dress competitions and they learn who Bharti is and what he looks like even before they learn Ana Avanna. He is still so integral to education and not just among school children and academic circles and Tamil scholars, his ideologies are quoted and referenced by politicians in public meetings and by policy makers. What do you think rendered to Bharati's everlasting popularity and relevance? I think the secret to his relevance
1: is the fact that he was a poet of a certain kind. You know, He was a visionary poet. His mind and his ideas about life and society and everything were so far ahead. You know, he was always projecting into the future in everything that he thought and wrote and so on. And that's one thing you can see in the English writings. It's unbelievable how contemporary his ideas are today. Like. Actually, just today I was recording a a podcast episode, so I'm creating a podcast to go with the book. One of the things I was saying in this first episode, though, was that his writing is so contemporary, it could have been written yesterday, today, or even tomorrow. (laughs) Because it's true, I think in a lot of ways, he has influenced the society, and we have moved towards his ideals, and that's a wonderful thing. But we haven't by any means reached you know, the summit there or, or anything like that. There's a long way to go. He continues to offer the clarity of vision, the guidance, the direction,
0: uh, everything to help us continue to walk on that path. So your mother, Vijaya Bharati, daughter of Bharati's daughter, Thangam she was a pioneering scholar of Bharati studies, and she played a huge role in this process, right? Did she share her knowledge about Bharati with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's constant, because, uh, you know, in my mother's case, as I was saying, like, she, not only was he her grandfather, but then also all her intellectual life was centered on him. So, and and she used to, from the time I was very small, she used to discuss all these matters with me, like, um, when she was teaching at the university, and I was two or three years old, she was in London at that time, I used to go with her to the class even, you know, so that's the kind of um, closeness she and I had. And I used to stay in the class while she was teaching and so on. Um, so, so you know, every day of our life together, I have heard something about Bharati from her or discussed something with her. So it's just endless, you know, whether it's from the from his writings and things that she brought up about his writings, his philosophy, to these personal stories. I mean, she's told me about his life with Chalama, uh how you know he treated his daughters what kind of father he was um what kind of life he had with the people in the society around him in pondicherry and karyam in chennai how he studied in banaras i mean it's just uh, endless kind of discussion and i feel like definitely feel like i almost know him personally as a result and i know all these people that i never met you know my great grandmother my grandmother also i never got to meet her but my mom has kept them alive. You know, with this constant description of what the stories were in their
0: lives. He has written extensively in English in the form of essays and articles and even poetry. Why is it so unknown and why is it so underrated? And what do you say to people who say we should not be popularizing his English writings because he was primarily a Tamil artist? Part of the problem has been our
1: attitude about sharing him with the world I'm not sure that Tamilians have offered him to the world, and there needs to be that movement. People need to say, well, here's our man, the man who exemplifies so much that's good and beautiful in our culture, and that we want to make him our gift to the world. You know, that attitude is not there. Instead, there's a kind of closing in on oneself because I think that mentality itself is part of the legacy of colonialism. That's another reason in an overt way as well, why people don't know about Bhattati as much as they could, because the British had a very active agenda of suppressing his writing and the writing of people like him. You know, the the last thing that they wanted was for the writers who were writing in Indian languages to, to come up. And in fact... Bharati writes about this in the book. That essay is called Vernaculars, and how he hates that word. You know, how dare the English call Tamil a vernacular language. Oh my goodness, he hates that word. And that is such an important piece. Just a little essay. You you must read that one if you haven't, because it's simply incredible. The uh, acerbic nature, the passion in that essay, and the bitterness, and Here, the English are campaigning to get our languages basically shut out of the process of educating, educating our own children. He says it should be enough to offer bilingual education. Let children learn English, but they're going to study in their mother tongue as well. And the British have no business campaigning against that. In fact, when they campaigned in favor of English, it's amazing the things that they said. Like he summarizes that. He says their position was that the Indian languages are not suitable for the modern world. There's no real reason why anybody should learn those languages instead of English, which has, you know, so much more to offer in the present context. And he just hated that. You know, he was so upset about that. And then he explains in that essay what is Tamil? And he says, Well, here's a language of antiquity, here's a language of great classics, you know, which will stand easily beside the great classics of European languages. And you can't consider Tamil vernacular language because we have this history and literature and tradition, and you can't simply uh, brush it away. You know, that has to be allowed to continue. You know, it goes to show you those, the British attempts. You know, even I didn't know, like I know the history that, yeah, the British, you know, colonized and this and that. But through working on this book. I have actually felt, and I feel I've almost seen with my own eyes, you know, the cruelty and the brutality with which they really tried to wipe out the culture and the independent spirit of the place. I mean, it's, a, it's not an easy thing. And so it's a colonial legacy, you know, you, when they, they worked at this for decades. So it's ironic, but it's definitely a, an instrument now that Bharati did write in English. And by reading English, you can find your way back to tamil and hopefully you know if if a book like this gets widely circulated, you know thanks to people like you taking the the trouble, taking the interest to write about it, and so on, people should come to know know about the book they should come to read, they should understand the colonial history, and hopefully they'll take an interest and I think people of that generation, people like him, like Tagore, and so on you know they they saw themselves as standing on the world stage, engaging in a dialogue with other writers and thinkers around the world, touching the hearts of people
0: around the world, finding a common humanity. For our listeners, could you speak a little bit about what did Mahakavi Subramanya Bharati write about in English? See, I would say
1: there are three kinds of writing in the book. One is where he's essentially writing for the British audience and saying, well, look, here's who we are. And if you are going to stay in this country you're going to have to explain yourselves how you're going to justify that and what is the logic behind your presence here so that was the first one all these kind of um, you know political writings aimed at the at the people who read in English who were dominant in India at that time so that's that's group number one and and in fact there's kind of a subgroup in that category because he was also writing about the social reform within India I think for, the other nationalists to be able to read, you know, those coming from all different parts of the country, because sometimes we tend to forget that the Indian nationalism was totally pan-Indian movement. And so people from so many different languages and regions of the country and so on were involved. And this was one method by which he could communicate his ideas about India to them. So that's kind of the first, the first group, I would call them political writings. Second group to me is very interesting, though, because that one, sometimes you read things and he just chooses subjects that he's interested in and he writes about them and you get the feeling that he's writing for a post-colonial audience. So he seems to be writing for people who live in a world where there is no British empire anymore, where India is a sovereign free nation, where all nations are sovereign and free. People can get interested in each other's cultures and get educated about them. And he wants to be part of that educational sharing process. And you can see, you know, his translations of Tamil poems, his writings about Indian philosophical ideas, you know, those things, I think, come within that group, you know, that they are are ways that people can learn about the culture. And they're not sort of actively political in that way. I mean, there's a political subtext because it's all also building up the value of the culture showing the gems that are there in the indian culture but he he has a kind of more long term agenda with those pieces i think and then the third category is really the most fascinating and strange of all because he would write for himself in english you know first and foremost in his core he was a poet and the love of language i think is the the heart lies in the heart of the poet and so i think you know he had a gift for languages he knew a number of languages at least sanskrit hindi tamil and english you know to the extent that he could compose he enjoyed the process of using all of the different languages that he had at his fingertips and you know different languages in many ways they respect different ways of of thinking they offer different approaches to thinking and so he must have been interested in exploring, you know, what were what was the English language all about? What made it tick? How do you, um, how does it how does it interact with your thoughts? So what kinds of emotions can you express? What kinds of projects can you undertake? You know, he even had a love for English, uh, like I, you're probably aware that he actually adopted as a pen name Shelley Dawson. You know, because he so much admired the Shelley Shelley's poetry, yeah, that he wanted to <laughs> he wanted to be just like him in a sense. Um, you know, in his own linguistic context. So yeah, so it's a very interesting thing that he did. And uh, those writings, some of them are really, really personal. So what was the process of editing this book like? So in terms of the language of the book, you know, that was one of the big challenges as the editor, because I didn't want to change the presentation of anything. But at the same time, I didn't want the archaic language to be a barrier to anyone who wanted to read the essays. So The editing has been done very, very carefully, you know, to try to preserve the integrity of the language the way it was, but to present it in such a way that the modern reader doesn't feel like it's too far removed. Um, And uh, hopefully, you know, we succeeded in doing that. I have a lot of experience editing at this point, thank goodness, because it's a very tricky task. Um, I wouldn't have wanted to undertake it otherwise
0: changing tracks a little and moving to lighter subjects. Any stories come to mind that your mother may have told you about? Because everything we know is through media and movies, and he's made out to be the seediest, serious man.
1: I think he had a tremendous sense of fun and play. And there, there's a story I can tell you. So um, there's one story about a friend of his coming to visit him and his wife when they were in Pondicherry. And the friend came in and he's looking very tired and sort of stooped and exhausted and sat down and you know took his uh water and so on. And then uh Bhakti apparently said to him, Yeah, you're looking very old. You know, you're looking like you're really feeling your age. You know, look at my wife and me. I am about seven years old. And you know, at a time when he was a grown man in his thirties and so the friend was astonished and he said, oh, how about your wife then? How old is she? "Oh, tell she she's only five. <laughs> so, I think he had that sense of playfulness and uh, kept the inner child alive, you know, very much in spite of all the difficult experiences that he had.
0: I was also wondering: most of Bharati's poetry have been turned into these wonderful songs. Is there like a family favorite?
1: You know, I I don't know whether a lot of people are aware that Bharati had his own way of singing his own poems, and he so he actually had his own he actually had his own music, and this was something that my mother wanted to. Uh, educate people on. She wanted to teach songs and so on. And she was singing, you know, actively right up to the time she died. She died suddenly, and so that that project got abandoned. But she did a lot of teaching, and she taught me a lot, so I'm hoping to to do that too. But he had his own way of teaching, of of singing, sorry, and then he taught the songs to Chalama and Tangama and Shakuntala in The house himself, they have continued teaching it to their children. So my mom in particular, Vijaya Bharati, she had learned all of Bharati's songs from Chalama and Tangama, and she preserved their way of singing the song. So it's like a family oral tradition of the song being sung in a certain way. It makes it a little bit difficult for for me to listen to other versions of his songs because his own way of doing it, he had a very you know, particular way of doing. He does kind of integrate the folk elements and classical elements to make very memorable melodies. And he uses all kinds of different ragas with immense power. So, to me, and my mother was a fantastic singer. So, when I would hear her sing these songs, I would just melt. It's that powerful. I mean, you can't imagine. So, it's very hard to listen to other versions. But he does compose in ragas, you know, both Carnatic and um, joint ragas with Hindustani music. And he does it in a very innovative way. Like sometimes you can't even identify the, the raga, you know, that he's done it that cleverly. Very creative. The melody and the words, they match each other perfectly. So it the, the carries the meaning in a wonderful way in Bharati's original versions. So I hope to do some work on that actually in the next, you know, in the coming little while because I have some recordings of my mother singing and some of other people in the family. I myself have learned some.
0: That's amazing and I can't wait to hear some of Bharati's original compositions in your podcast. Where do you think he acquired this musical knowledge from? His father maybe? I suspect so
1: because his father was a very learned um, man like learned in cultural matters and then you know Bharatiya used to spend time in the court when he was a young child so I think he would have heard a lot of music and then when he went to Varanasi he would have become um, familiar with Hindustani music there and he had a like he said music is the greatest wonder in the world you know so he had a deep love of music deep connection to music so multi-talented you know both in poetry and in music.
0: Thank you, Professor Meera. This has been a true honor and privilege. Any parting words before we wrap up? A
1: hundred years after a person's death is a long time. For literature to last that long is actually quite unusual. Usually after a period of 20-30 years, the work starts disappearing or people lose interest. And even noted writers... And in Bharati's case, that's not happened. If anything, you know, the interest is greater than ever before. And so I think that's something important to reflect upon now that 100 years have gone by. You know, who was this person and why is it that what he wrote is still interesting to people after such a long time? And in fact, it's growing in interest every day. I, I definitely think somebody a hundred years from now could be having the same conversation that we're having today. Hopefully they'll be able to say, well now society has moved so much closer towards the ideals of a person like Bharati, but you know the relevance of his writing is, is not going away. And so I think that's what I would like you know people to reflect upon and take a sense of pride in and show him to the world. Let his light shine over the world.
0: for tuning in. If you like what you heard, share the link and check out our website thehindubusinessline.com and watch our videos on youtube.com backslash thehindubusinessline. My name is Akshay Chandrasekharan and you'll hear more from me next time.